In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. That's lls.org slash big climb. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Seven fifty-five is real. Welcome back. I'm David O'Brien, brace writer for the Athletic. I'm with my co-host Eric O'Flaherty out in Seattle. What's up, Eric? How you doing, man? I'm grinding today, man. I found out about electric bikes the hard way yesterday. Some of these old guys have little motors in their bikes. <laughs> I chased this guy for like five miles yesterday. He looked like Blue from old school, and I couldn't catch him. <laughs> You're my boy, Blue. <laughs> oh, man. He was flying, and I was trying to catch him. Then I found out when I got home, some of those bikes have um, yeah. little motors in them that make them way faster. Quiet. You don't hear them. No, but he rode by and kind of gave me a look like, you know, like I was soft. You know, like I didn't belong. I was like, all right, I'm chasing this guy forever. Could not catch his ass. You said I'm a professional athlete, old man. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I'm feeling it today, man. Uh, well, we are going to get to the latest, uh, and there is progress or, or possible progress in the negotiations between the, the union and uh, the owners. Uh, big step beginning today, and we're going to get to that, talk about that. First of all, we're going to do some Q&A, some questions from the readers uh, submitted on Twitter in the last couple of hours. Some good good stuff on here. And uh, this has been a hit, so we're going to make it one again. All right. First of all, we got from Christopher Phillips at K Phillips SCU. He asked, based off spring training and knowing Hamels is healthy, how would you guys go about setting up the 2020 starting pitching staff and bullpen? Hmm. I'll let me go, let me do my rotation first. Okay. And then you can think about the bullpen while I'm doing this. I got Soroka, and then I'm going to go stick Hamels in there at uh, two, but that could be freed either way. You're probably going to go back to back lefties unless you could go Hamels, Fulte, then Freed, which might be the better way to do it. Um, and then I'm going to have Newcomb or King Felix. It probably doesn't matter that much because I think both will end up being used extensively because it's going to be a compressed season like we've talked about with more games and fewer days and all that and some doubleheaders. But if you have one in there in the five, maybe King Felix because Nuke pitched out of the bullpen all year last year and you could use him in the bullpen between his scheduled sixth man starts, you know, his six starts. The only say, the only my only hesitancy with that is. King Felix pitched really well at spring training. 
but he only pitched in home starts. He was about to make his first road start before this got shut down. He was going to face the Twins like two days after this got shut down. That would have been a really good test for him because he didn't face one lineup that was loaded. It was all visiting lineups uh, at uh, Northport, and you know teams don't bring a bunch of regulars. So he never faced more than about three or four regulars and no lineup anywhere even remotely close to the Twins lineup he would have faced on that Saturday before things got shut down, though. So... I don't know. You got to, you know, he never faced any deep lineups this spring to see, um, you know, if his diminished stuff plus a whole lot of guile would be enough to get hitters out up and down a tough lineup. So I'm, I'm somewhat hesitant. I think the Braves probably have a better idea than I do from their watching him, watching his bullpens and knowing all his velos and all that. But uh, those are the six. I think it just matters who you have five and who's six. Yeah, I, well, Felix is going to have another spring training to b- yeah. basically prove it anyway. But I think you know, I think that he was looking at making the team, and if he was worth the risk at a million, mm-hmm. now he's now he's got to be worth the risk at five hundred k. Yeah, because you know, no and it, <clears throat> I was thinking, you know, I would almost go Hamels in the, in the A spot just because I like the lefty righty lefty righty thing. In the, um, so I in the what spot. In the number one, I'd go oh, Hamels. Okay. okay. Yeah, and I got you. It, it doesn't. It really doesn't matter, man. Right. I mean, the thing is, is I like the idea of Soroka facing a lot of number twos too. Um, sometimes you like to go ace versus ace, but you know Hamels can hold it down at least somewhat. And then you got Freed in the three, um, and I go Fulty four, and then Felix or Sean, you know, Newcomb um, in the in the fifth spot. But man, it's tough because you don't you don't want to miss out on Newcomb really growing as a starting pitcher yeah. this year yeah and you, you don't know really what well the spring. yeah and you don't know what the schedule is going to be like if it's really mm-hmm. condensed um you can almost go with six guys but then you're not starting Soroka as much uh, and that's he's the one guy that you know the rest of the guys is I don't feel like you need to have him out there every fifth day and you're like oh shit we're missing this guy but Soroka um you want him starting yeah. as much as possible. So that's the big that's the big downside of going to a six man rotation. Otherwise I kinda like it. But And I th- and I want Freed out there too. I think Freed can take yeah, that next yeah. step, especially in a shorter season where he's not gonna have to have any pacing. He made it through last year and was pitching really well at the end. So I yeah, like he's still, you know, he's had days. some elbow surgeries and stuff. I could see an upside to getting him more rest and keeping him fresh for the playoffs. But yeah, I mean you want him to grow too and, and really be out there. Um that's, you, I think the the only challenge is Felix versus Newcomb. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we would have had a lot better idea after he faced the Twins. You know, I don't want to put everything on one start, but at least we could have seen him face a deep lineup where there weren't a lot of, you know, fringe major leaguers in there like most of the lineups he faced. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing I think a lot of teams do wrong when you have a veteran trying to make your team in spring training is mm-hmm. you get kind of the veteran treatment, but you wind up facing a lot – you know, lesser talent by staying at home and everything. So that would have been a big test, but now you got a whole new hurdle. Um, the layoff, you know, how's he, what's he been doing? How's he going to come back from this? Is he ready to go? Um, and sometimes you you could, it's not, it's not saying he didn't put the work in, but just this layoff, he could come out, he come out of it in a little funk. And then you got a lot less time to, to straighten it out and get your things together. Um, so he's got to, he's going to have to come back from this throwing pretty well, but I think he makes a team. Just based off of what he showed before. Yeah. He uh 
especially on a 50 man roster, you know, yeah. and if with it's, 30 if it's man active roster and all that, I think he makes it, if nothing else, he could be a long man. I mean, 500,000 bucks or whatever it's going to be, you know? Yeah. And a backup be happy plan with that. But, um, I saw an interview, he did an interview with, uh, ESPN Deportes, I think it was. And he, uh, he said he still has goals of 200 wins and 3,000 strikeouts. If he gets those, he'll be ready. To, he'll be happy to retire or, or content to retire. But he's only got 169 wins right now and 25, yeah. 24 strikeouts, which in the, in his heyday for 10 years there, that had been nothing. That had been a sure thing. It had yeah. been like three more years and he'd have it. But, I mean, he's talking about wanting 30 more wins. Well, he's only won in the last four years – Let's see, 9, 15, 26, you know, because he had 11, 6, 8, and then last year it was 1 and 8. The last two years he's yeah. 9 and nine and 22. So he's got a lot of work to do to, to show that that was, uh, you know, that he was hurt in that span and he's healthy now. And, you know, like he says, he's uh, a different guy, lost a lot of weight and all this. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, he's he's only 33. You know, he could – 34 now, yeah. Thirty-four. You know, he could. It's feasible he could get there if he just is willing to grind and and do the up and down triple yeah. A grind. But I don't. You know, if he's going to have to have flat out, he's going to have to really turn things around to get there the yeah. way it's been looking lately. But yeah, I saw that and I thought, hmm. I thought, man, he's he's going to have to. Things are going to have to go pretty well to get there. Well, you know, I mean, you, as you know better than most of us, the thing that made one of the things that made him so great was that confidence. And that, yeah. you know, ego. I mean, it, it, he he thinks he's great, and is and he's he's got to think he's great at least if he has any chance to be great. Well, I promise Still. you, if he was trying to get to 173 wins, <laughs> and then he was going to retire, it would inspire a lot less confidence from the team than saying you want to get to you know 200. Uh, the bullpen. Did you think about that? I mean, a bunch of the choices are obvious, and it's just a matter yeah. of. You add a couple more with a thirty-man roster, probably, or one more, maybe. You probably don't need more than add more than one, two tops, but yeah, but you're counting on the same guys. You know, yeah. I mean, you you leave Melanson closing for now, um, and he knows. You know, the, the good thing is, you know, he can handle the role because that's something that sneaks up on guys the first time you throw them into that. You are the closer role. Um, you know, he can handle it. Uh, you got Smith, Green, Jackson. You got all three of those guys ready. Uh, Chris Martin. Chris Martin, uh, if you want to throw him into it, um, oh, I thought I think, you, I, I thought you were talking about you were talking about closing, closing, for, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, and he could do it. Martin could do yeah. it too. But really, I mean, you got a ton of depth. But those four guys, well, you know, the five guys I'd be relying on the most is Melanson, Will Smith, Shane Green, Chris Martin, and then Luke Jackson. And and Jackson's interesting because you could, you know, he's he's he doesn't have an ego about it. So you could throw him in the sixth, or you could have him ready in the eighth. I think Luke's going to be just pretty flexible and ready, and and you can also kind of beat him up too. You know, he can go he can go multiple innings a lot, so uh, there's plenty of versatility there. Um, and then if you had somebody like Felix or Nukes, probably going to be your long man. Um, they, I mean, they're set up. It's just I don't know what the schedule is going to look like, but there's not really a schedule you could throw at this bullpen that's going to phase it. Mm-hmm. And there were some guys that uh, some guys that stood out a little bit down at spring training too that you could stick in there. Some young guys, some older guys. The former Rockies left-hander that's made that pretty amazing comeback from having the yips. Um, Tucker Davidson, a young guy. Um, you could have a guy like Ian Anderson who's who's ready, who's knocking at the door. You know, the top uh, starting pitching prospect in the organization right now. 
Uh, even a Kyle Muller, if he could, you know, get the walks under control, I, you know, I don't know if that, if the pin suits him that well, but man, he'd be a presence out there if he could, if you feel like he can control the walks, cause he's a big old dude that throws hard. Anybody you see that's, uh, pulling trucks with a rope in the off season, <laughs> the pen suits them plenty well. <laughs> he's got the meathead part down, you know? Yeah. Well, he looks um, like a closer. I mean, the size and all that and how yeah. hard he throws, but. You know. Some of his workouts I've seen him do is like this dude would do great in the pen, you know. Um, but yeah, you—that's what I'm kind of curious if they're going to take these guys that aren't really going to have, you know. I think you'd rather have them sitting in the bullpen and maybe not pitching, but still getting into major league games and getting some experience right, versus just playing sim games in Gwinnett. Right, because there's going to be no minor league season. You know, I right. think that 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 dynamic changes everything. You know, as far as who you might put on the 50 man roster. You're starting their clock if if you have them. I, that, I, you know, that remains to be seen for that forty through forty one through fifty. Are those spots the same as a regular forty man spot? I don't know. We got, we got to find out. But uh, oh, another guy we we always overlook, but they brought him in as a a non roster invitee for a reason. Is a long guy, a versatile guy, Josh Tomlin. You know, I mean, he was huge for them last year. You got to have him. Oh he, yeah, because he he's a guy that you know. Anytime a starter does poorly, you feel pretty mm-hmm. good. Him. He'll take his whooping if he has to, but he's going to give you three or four innings out of the pen. Yeah, I'm still I'm still a little confused. What you know with service time and whatnot? What if it's going to be an active? How big is the active the roster? Taxi squad that so called. Well, taxi, taxi squad, squad I wouldn't think is getting any kind of service time. They might be getting paid a little better, but what's the active roster actually going to be? Well, I, I guess think the active roster is going to be about thirty, and then you're going to have 30. about fifty total, and you know, twenty man like a uh, taxi squad, which you know. Okay. Instead of having a forty man active, you'd have fifty that you can use, and I, that's that's generally what I've heard. It's been discussed, so it makes a lot of sense. We'll see, though. Um, let's see. We've got Eric. Will it be more difficult to build team camaraderie with an active clubhouse of potentially forty guys? It's not going to be an active clubhouse of forty. It's going to be active of thirty at the most, I would think. But yeah, yeah. I don't, well, you know, the, maybe, but the, the protocol itself was going to be a lot bigger hurdle. Uh, you know, if it, if it was a normal yeah. season and, and yeah. you had 40 guys in there, or 50 guys, or I don't know where this taxi squad is going to be, or the, you know, the kind of the backup guys are going to be working out and maybe they'll yeah, be in the man. clubhouse, maybe they won't. But more than anything, it's just, you can't, I don't know how many guys are going to be in the locker room. They talked about lockers six feet apart, leaves you room well, for that's about not going to work. Yeah, I mean that leaves you room for about fifteen guys yeah, in the main like, clubhouse. Um, Fortunately, you know, they got a much bigger clubhouse than they used to have at Turner Field. Yeah, yeah, and you know, going out to dinner on the road—can they high five? Can they hang out in big groups? Can they hang out <laughs> in each other's rooms? All this stuff, you know, yeah, a lot of the yeah, the team camaraderie is built. You know, it's built on the plane. It's built on the road, going out to dinner and spending time. Uh, when you get the whole group, you know, when guys don't have families to go home to, they'll come out to dinner and, and hang out on the road. Um, you know, all the, the high-fiving and, and joking around and all that stuff that happens on the plane and the road. Uh, I think that this protocol could really affect it, but it's just something that they're going to have to rise above together, and it'll build camaraderie just in a different way. So I don't think it'll be harder. It'll just be different. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to obviously ease some of those initial proposals about don't leave your hotel when you're on the road, don't socialize in groups. I, I just can't see that being realistic, but we'll see. 
I mean, if you can't even leave your room, it's going to be really hard to build camaraderie because you always get groups of guys hanging out and mm-hmm. in the rooms just watching Sports Center and having a few beers after games and things like that. And if they have to all just be in the room on lockdown, you know, you're, you're kind of on lockdown at home because most guys have families and things they have to work on and yeah. and, and tend to. Um, it could be a bigger hurdle, but it's also like. Man, there could be a lot of funny jokes, and and there's a lot there's a lot to play off of with all this protocol. They're gonna have to jump mm-hmm. through, and they're all gonna be going through this together. Where they could be building even a stronger bond. So I guess it just remains to be seen. But yeah, it'd just be different. I don't think it'd be too much harder. I don't know how Acuna and Ozzy are gonna do it, man. They're like hanging no. all over each other for four hours a day. Uh, they probably have to just FaceTime a lot. <laughs> Go back to their room and FaceTime after games. Put them on opposite sides of the clubhouse. Um, that yeah. was from Kyle Dobbins, by the way, at Kyle Dobbins. Next is from Andrew Green. Green at MLB. Uh, or at Green MLB. Reply. Let's see. He says, would you rather build a club? Uh, who would you rather build a club around for the next 10 years? Juan Soto or Acuna Jr.? Oof. Man. I mean, That's- I, I, I can't pick anybody over Acuna, but. Juan Soto yeah. is terrific. I mean, he might literally be two on the list, you know, if I can build around for the next 10 years. I mean, if you're talking 10 years, you know, probably still Bellinger. Yeah. But uh, uh, Juan Soto is phenomenal. I mean, he's really young, too. I think the biggest compliment you could give Soto is that there's a conversation to be had here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Because Acuna, I mean, he's just the most ridiculous prospect most of us have seen in a long time. But mm-hmm. Soto himself, man, and he's already performed in a World Series. He's already yes. shown he can he can yes. handle that stage. I think he hit, I don't know, his OPS was over a thousand. He hit like three or four homers, yeah. um, and they won it. But you know, it's I feel like with Acuna, it's just the the there's no the sky's a limit for him. Mm-hmm. And I think Soto's a lot more polished with his talents and and closer to his peak. Um, mm-hmm. but Acuna, I feel like, you know, he could, he could make some adjustments and be hitting 325 with 40 a year, uh, yeah. in his talent, the, the speed, the arm, everything he's got. Um, I think Soto's closer to maxed out, but I, it's just, I can't pick anybody over Acuna. Soto has better strike zone, a lot better strike yeah. zone management. He doesn't strike out much, uh, especially I mean. relative to today's numbers. He's. Much better plate discipline. He puts the ball in play and all that. But uh, other than that, I mean, I'd take Acuna and I think every other category. But I, I saw something the other day. They were projecting on uh, oh, one of the analytics. Um, uh, one of the analytics they were using, they tweaked it slightly to project MVPs in the next 10 years. Mm. Um, it was interesting. It was uh, – a, a, uh, Trout still was in first for the next 10 years, but you know who was number two? Wait, Trout was the guy for every single one? <laughs> no, no, no. But the, oh. who would have the most MVPs in the next oh, okay. 10 years? I think his was like 2.7 or something. That uh, and, and number two, though, was Acuna ahead of Bellinger and Yelich because Yelich, you know, the age or whatever. But, but he was right ahead of Bellinger. Acuna was number two on the list. He was like 1.7 MVPs in the next 10 years. He's going to get at least a couple, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that's it a pretty, pretty safe bet. Yeah, it was one of the advanced analytics, and the guy had tweaked the formula to come out. I don't know how he did it, but um. I think the balls are a big factor too, because you know Yelich kind of when mm-hmm. he started taking off and hitting a ton of homers, and he doesn't have ridiculous power, but he's able to hit opposite field yeah. homers now. That I don't oh, know yeah. if it was going from Milwaukee 
or from Miami to Milwaukee, where it's it's a lot better hitters park. Mm-hmm. But um, the ball, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know how much of that was was the stadium versus the ball. But once Yelich could hit opposite field homers, I mean, he he became really hard to pitch too. Yeah. Yeah, he's a different player now, man. Jeez. He was yeah. always really good. Everybody he was always, always good. Yeah, everybody always liked him as all around as an all around player, but he became such an offensive force after the go to Milwaukee. Yeah, well, I don't think people realize how big Miami is. Yeah. That's a big park, high fences. Um and, and left center field and right center field's huge there. So even after going they, to Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even after they altered Miami's park, it's still still big. It's still big, yeah. Um uh, Let's see. That was uh, this was from this is from Matt Booth, Matthew S. Booth, and this is uh, Eric. What's the craziest clubhouse prank you've ever seen or been part of? A good one that used to happen. I don't know if they do it anymore, but the the kind of go to when somebody needed to be humbled back in the day was a three man lift. You'd get a um, you'd get kind of a loud a loud confident teammate to. Um, kind of get into a, a trash talking battle with another one, you know, in the weight room or something like that. And he'd claim he could pick up three guys at the same time. And they'd take, they'd take a Gatorade cooler and just fill it up with all the nastiest stuff they could find around the clubhouse, you know, like mayonnaise, ketchup, <laughs> just dirt, you know, water, beer, whatever it was. And they'd stir it all up in this, in this Gatorade cooler. And then they'd have three guys lay down on the ground. And the guy in the middle would always be the guy that, you know, it, it'd almost always be some top prospect or somebody that's just loud mouthing and need to be humbled. Uh-huh. And he'd lay on the ground and he'd interlock his arms with two other guys. And and so, you know, the 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 guy that said he could lift, you know, three three players would would kind of make a big scene and kind of huff and puff and act uh-huh. like he was getting ready. Uh-huh. And right when he'd approach them, you know, the three guys on the ground, the other two would roll off to the side. And they dumped that big Gatorade cooler on the guy uh, laying on the ground. So, that's just that's just cruel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and you never knew it was in that in that uh, in that potion. <laughs> it could be anything in the clubhouse. But yeah, that was the one. That was kind of the go-to that you'd see it every year in spring training, and you see it once, and everybody's in on it. So once once everybody kind of knew it was yeah. going to happen, you'd have the whole clubhouse would buy in. So you'd have 50 guys standing around and there'd only be one guy that didn't know what was about to happen to him. And it was always, it was always, the, you know, some top prospect that needed to get humbled. But man, that know. one was, it was crazy and it was hilarious every time. Cause you, the guy would stand up just totally dumbfounded and shocked and he'd just be <laughs> covered in this nasty paste, you know, <laughs> he cut, trying to wipe their eyes, just no clue what just happened or why. That was, that was the one you saw the most when, when I was coming up. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates electrolyte packets, flavored electrolyte packets. You mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. Help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com 
slash athletic. That's drinkhydrate.com slash athletic for 25% off your first order. The same guy, DOB, in lieu of concerts during the pandemic, have you been tuning in to any live streams? If so, what has been your favorite? No, I haven't, actually. I have listened to many, many albums. I have so many albums that I haven't gotten to and that I'm getting to during this break. And I've watched a great many shows on Netflix, Prime, and Apple TV, as well as the terrific Better Call Saul on AMC. Um, I would highly recommend Bosch and Goliath on Prime. Bosch, every season has been phenomenal. Goliath, all but the second season, was really good uh, with Billy Bob Thornton. On Netflix in recent month, Ozark, the new season, was great. Every season of Peaky Blinders is phenomenal. That's one of my favorite all-time shows. Uh, up there with The Wire and Sopranos. Uh, Big Mouth is always the funniest and most subversive show anywhere. I love that show. And I've I've really gotten uh, dead to me. The second season was, wasn't as good as the first, but it was still really good. Um, oh, and Netflix picked up a great series that had been on one of the premier uh, cable channels before some, uh, or something called The Center. I'd never even heard of it. It's really good. Bill Pullman stars in it as a detective. And Jessica Biel was in season one, and she was phenomenal. I did not know she could act like that. She's beautiful and she could really act because she did in that show uh and then on apple tv have you got apple tv you ever heard of it yeah i got it i like yeah. it man i got it because they had the beastie boys documentary on there that's only that was the only place it was so i got it and then they uh they had the godfather of harlem which i had started on epics they gave you a free tease on epics but i don't have epics but i could see like three episodes and i was hooked so then I didn't think I was going to be able to see it because it wasn't anywhere else. But I but I had it on uh, Apple Apple TV briefly when I when I first got it. So I was able to cram in the last like five episodes with Forrest Whitaker, The Godfather of Harlem. Man, that was a good show. Um, and then they have this four part punk series on there with Iggy Pop and a bunch of people. Uh, oh, and, and the Morning Show. Have you watched that on Apple TV with Jennifer Aniston? No, I, I don't watch. Dude, that's I, good. I'm way man. behind on everything. The morning show is good. And then they got a creepy psychological horror type show in there called Servant with M. Night Shyamalan. It's Shyamalan. I don't know. Shyamalan, the director. He does it. How you pronounce his name? He does this series. And that's pretty good. Creepy. Uh, and then finally on HBO, I, I had this six part miniseries that's going on right now. I know this much is true. It is intense and grim, dude, but it is great. Mark Ruffalo. Uh, Ruffalo, Ruffalo, I think is, I forget how he pronounces his name, but he plays both twin brothers. One of them uh, has got uh, special needs and all this and, or, or he's, no, he, I'm sorry. He's, uh, he is a, uh, um, he's been in a, in a home uh, institution for part of his life after kind of losing it during college and he's schizophrenic. And Ruffalo plays both brothers. And they're like two distinct characters. You think you're looking at two different people entirely. So he should win awards for that for sure. So there you go. That's what I've been doing. All right. This is from CP, Parker Colon 2. Parker Colon 2. He says, for Eric, is there a franchise out there who has a reputation for keeping their pitchers healthy and away from TJ or vice versa? I guess meaning is there one where they a lot of guys have gotten hurt? Uh, you know, it's, it's changed so much yeah. the last five or six years. Yeah. I don't really know. Um, cause I haven't been looking for a job in the game in a while. I did have, I had a couple of organizations like, you know, when I first had my first Tommy John, I actually got offered a three-year deal by a team and I called an old teammate, 
Um, and he was like, dude, if you go there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're never coming back. Do not, you their, their trainers are the worst. This is the worst. You know, a lot of teams kind of had that type of reputation where they were either really good or really bad back yeah. then. And now it's like almost every team is, has advanced so much that, um, I, I'd assume most teams have a really, really good reputation now. They've kind of mm-hmm. um, the advances have just been so crazy. You know, like the first time I had Tommy John, um, it pretty much every team was doing the same protocol, um, and now it's it's ten times that. Them they they do these things. They scrape. They do scraping. They do cupping. They do all these other mm-hmm. um, kind of tissue. Just they they know how to work the tissue so that it heals better and faster mm-hmm. and. Um, cupping, it's massage. not just, yeah, cuppings and massage, mm-hmm. the scraping kind of separates the, the muscle and fascia and breaks up scar tissue. Okay. Um, but no, it's just, it's, it's so much more advanced now. Um, I don't think that there's a team now that you would say that I would hope at least it hasn't come along and everything, but back in the day, yeah, there used to be quite a few teams that had a bad reputation. And you got, you used to have some more old school pitching coaches and managers, whereas now there's so much analytically driven that. I think they would hear from the analytics people if they were abusing a guy and his performance was suffering for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, just throughout the game, that's what's that's why the the loogie's dead because mm-hmm. as a left-handed one-out guy, you you pretty much you had to pitch in 80, 85 games a year. In my mind, you had to pitch in at least seventy, but to get to be seventy games and up to have any value. And now um, teams protect their players so much better uh, that. You just don't see they're not willing to throw a guy out there because they know how hard it is on their arm. So when they, you know, when they change that three out rule, yeah. I didn't really think it changes too much for too many guys because you really can't hold any value in a bullpen if you can't throw 80 games anyway. So uh, the, the advancements in the game are just crazy. So I think now it's 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 definitely a lot better. And there's probably not too many teams um, with that kind of reputation anymore. They can't take care of guys. This one's from from Rubinante one for Eric. If you don't have to worry about time or tearing up your shoulder, your arm, what is one pitch you would have added to your mix? Either a pitch from someone specific like Mariano Rivera's cutter or a general pitch, 12-6 curveball, knuckleball, ephus, et cetera, he says. Uh, I mean, if I didn't have to worry about being me, I would have added a changeup. You know, that was uh-huh. that was the one pitch I just couldn't um, – consistently throw but probably would have changed my whole career if i could mm-hmm. uh, especially on the backside when i didn't really have a dominant sinker anymore um i think that one of the best pitch that most guys have, have added in the game is a cutter uh, i wish i would have gone back to a cutter and a, and a curveball i threw that when i was coming up um if you don't have to worry about your shoulder i mean the screwball mm-hmm. which i kind of threw for in 2012 and 13 i was kind of throwing a screwball what's you know, that like sense. what pitch is that reminiscent of yeah it's just a it's you just you really overly pronate so it's it's like a change up where it where it really fades and runs away from a right-handed hitter um one guy that threw it was daniel ray herrera he came up with the uh with the reds a few years ago maybe 2010 or 11 so it was a while back but this guy came up and nobody could touch him and sure enough a year or two in his arm just fell off and you never heard from him again um and johnny kind of threw one too johnny's was pretty damn close to a screwball um, so if I didn't have to worry about the health of my arm, I would have just kept playing off that sinker I was already throwing and and kind of gone farther with it and turned it into more of a screwball because I think that pitch at 90 miles an hour is untouchable. This one's from Obi Hamilton at 
Obi Dog. He says, years ago, I attended a soccer match in Mexico City, and there were only a few hundred people in a good-sized stadium. However, the crowd was extremely loud, and I came to realize they were piping in the crowd noise. Might MLB try something like that, kind of like a laugh track? Hmm. I've heard about it. Who was saying that? Joe Buck was saying that they might do that. Was he? Are, yeah, they're not doing it in like Korea, are they? You know what's you know what strikes me? <laughs> they put those, fake fans in the stands in Korea. <laughs> that's in uh, is that in Korea? I'm not sure. Cutouts or Japan? Anyway, I'm not sure. You know what they have in Korea? They have no fans in the stand, but they have cheerleaders on top of the dugouts. What are what is that? <laughs> Did, have they already paid them or something? Could they not? I don't know. <laughs> Boy, that just makes no sense at all. <laughs> But yeah, with with nobody to lead. Yeah, they're cheering. They're leading cheers. I guess it, it adds a little adrenaline. But I haven't heard any fake uh, crowd noise at the South Korean game, so I don't know. Well, I, I could tell you it won't do anything for anybody to hear fake crowd noise. You know, maybe it would. You know, just to not have dead silence in the stadium because yeah. that's kind of awkward. But it's right. not providing any adrenaline. Yeah, when yeah, you know it's fake. I guess it might allow you to talk to your teammates, your infielders and stuff. You come, yeah. you get signals without it. You know, everybody hearing every word that's said when you're talking to somebody. But it seems kind of sticky, kind of gimmicky to me. Yeah, I wouldn't like it for the major league level. Uh, Jeremy Hudson at Grocery Guy five thirty eight. All right, what is the best defensive play each of you has ever seen in person, and or what is the craziest thing that Eric has seen a player? Ask a clubby to do. <laughs> mm, I didn't see that. Uh, uh, I didn't either. I'll talk my best defensive play for me, and I'm. I can't. I, I would have to go back through the Angleton reel because I can think yeah. of like five off the top of my head, including two or three against Travis Darno. <laughs> yeah, that were just amazing. Like he did the Derek Jeter play, but he was like twenty feet further, literally into the outfield, like behind third base, and made a stronger throw than Jeter ever made. Uh, and then he had a spin behind second base one time, kind of a pirouette thing. Might have been against the Nationals. I'm not sure where he fielded a ball. His momentum was going straight towards right field. And Andrelton does this spin and makes this strong throw to first base. And I'm not sure if he got the out or if it was like a tie, but it was just preposterous that he even made a play out of it. I mean, there's just a couple that came to mind. I, I remember one time he had a – Kind of an Aussie type play where he made where he was going one direction. It was a bad hop, and he reached back and grabbed it. It was he was like going to cover second base. Yep, so I remember that. There were about five or six that he made, and then the only other the play that someone else made besides Andrelton that I would put in that category was Andrew Jones' catch that he made in Montreal, where it was my first year covering the Braves in '02. I came from covering the Marlins, cover the Braves, and I think it was '02 in Montreal. And Glavin was pitching, and it was a ball in the gap. And Andrelton, or not Andrelton, Andrew was not in the picture on the replay because you watch the replay. He's not even in the picture. And then all of a sudden, he comes <laughs> shooting out. He had gone from right center to left center and made this amazing diving catch, man. I was like, whoa, that's like coming in, like in, in medium left center. Uh, coming from the other side, he was playing. He was shading the other way. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard, you know. After playing with Andrelton for a few years, you, you see so many great plays that he makes. Um, I'm having a hard time. I think you know his his junior college coach used to always be telling the stories and in, in articles about him catching a ball at the left field warning track, um, which seems so ridiculously far fetched. Um, 
when you heard it until I saw him do this play in Pittsburgh. Um, it was somebody hit a fly ball down the left field line, deep into foul territory, um, but deep into left field too. And he beat he beat Justin Upton there. He ran probably 30, 40 yards and laid out. And th- just the the angle and catching the ball, mm-hmm. um, like a backhanded dive with the seats approaching him. Um, that's one of the best plays I've seen him make. Um, the, and there was one against the Nationals where the pitcher slashed. So he fake bunted. And Andrelton had to run to cover third um, for the bunt play. Mm-hmm. He was Craig Stammen. Um, and then he swings and he hits a chopper up the middle. So he has to change directions, track <laughs> the ball back up the middle. And then he runs and jumps and plants with the wrong foot and turns his whole body. So all <laughs> his momentum's going toward right center field. Com- completely throws across his body to first base. And what makes that play ridiculous is the arm strength. You know, yeah. it, to, to throw across your body like that. And still be able to turn the double play and get it there with something on it. Um, most of the time, the guy's going to beat it out with how far he had to run and everything. Mm-hmm. But he had the arm strength to throw the guy out. Um, there's just there's so many plays with him. Um, it's just it's almost impossible to pick one. The best play he made when I was on the mound, uh, I took a line drive off my thigh. And normally, anytime the ball deflects off you as a pitcher, it's an automatic hit. So you just kind of, you know, look for where the ball is and go to pick it up. And I look to see where the ball is, and he's already barehanding it and firing the first uh, to get the <laughs> runner. Uh, since you chew out at first base, who's not slow. Um, but that that's what made him so great was every day he was going to do something, or there's at least the chance he was going to do something you'd never seen before. Um, so I can't even pick one. I guess maybe the catch in Pittsburgh, but they're all up there. The, the throwing across your body, I, I don't think people understand who haven't played or that haven't at least thrown a ball, how hard that is. Because if you tried to go out and do it, you would feel like you'd feel ridiculous because you can't do it if you're not. But you don't have your legs. <laughs> exactly. You have no legs and you're throwing across your body. So that part of it, it even if you had your legs, is hard. And he made yeah. it, and he still got he still got mustard on a ball. On a, he still could throw a make a strong throw, and I, I I'd never seen anything like it. The only only guy I've seen in twenty five years covering with an arm as strong as him, an infield arm as strong as Andrelton or close, was Sean Dunstan at his peak, at his peak before he because he kind of went downhill in a hurry when he but arm strength wise, but he had a, a hose. Uh, and other than him, Fuki uh, with the former Braves shortstop, Rafael Fercal, is the That's only guy. That's everybody with Atlanta always brought up was, he, was Fuki. He's the only other guy I, even in their category. And and Fuki was, to me, was a, just below uh, Angleton. Not quite you know, the, the arm that Angleton had. Or not quite anything that Angleton had. But Fuki was really good, though. But he had a hose, too. But Angleton's just another level. I mean, you know, he was 98 off the mound, right, in college. Yeah, we had we had a funny thing happen one time, um, and I, that's a story I always tell guys um, when they want to ask how good his arm was. Um, we were, um, you know, when we would do PFPs at the old Disney complex, they'd leave the gun on. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of times as pitchers, you have to simulate a throw to the plate, and then they hit a ball to a base or something, you run, you know. Um, so you're actually throwing a ball, and we'd be throwing, and when you're not warmed up, you're not game speed, it'd be like 80, 81 if you were putting something on it, you know, maybe 85 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember throwing one, um, and it was 79 or 80 or 82, something low, and BMAC talking smack. And, you know, yelling something out at me. So we kind of paused the drill and yelled out at him, like, get your ass out here and see what you're throwing. He's like, oh, I could throw 85 or what am I? I, Yeah, BMAC. And uh, 
he gets on the mound, it's like 74 and he's trying to let it eat. But it, it's, it's something that, you know, it's not a total knock on him because when you're not warmed up and you're not in game mode, it's, it's pretty tough to crank it up. And, um, Andreton happens to be wandering in from the outfield at the same time, you know, because the cages used to be out in left center field. Uh-huh. And we begged him to get up on the mound and just throw one. And he gave us like a, you know, 75, 80% effort and hit 90. And we were just <laughs> like, shit, this dude's just on another level. His arm's a cannon. But yeah, he threw, I think he threw 98 in, um, West. in junior college, which yeah. it doesn't seem far fetched at all after you've seen him throw um, yeah, across he, his body and all these yeah. other throws. My favorite thing he does though is he just flicks it until it's time to put something yeah. on it. He puts he just never, enough on it to get oh, the guy. Man. He never shows it off just to show it off. No, he doesn't. And and you know, that's that's part of why his arm's gonna gonna last longer, but it's always there when he needs it. He can just flick it with zero effort. It mm-hmm. just looks like he just little like baby toss and yeah. he, he's just across the diamond. Um, and those throws are long. I mean, you're, you're throwing 120 feet uh, when you're in the hole or something like that. But that's kind of what I like about him. And then when he needs it, man, <laughs> yeah, it's it's always enough. Whatever he, it seems like he can dial it up as far as he has to to get the runner. He's got that internal clock that is just totally innate, man. You cannot teach that. And he, I mean, he he literally throws it just enough to get the guy by a step. And sometimes he throws it over there. You're like, wow, oh, let it go. And he throws it just enough. There he is. He gets the guy mm-hmm. by a step. I hated that too. As a when I was playing in high school, how the ball always seems to beat you. Maybe maybe he's playing yeah. mental games because the ball always <laughs> seems to beat you by half a step. You know, he always just lets him get close and then just kind of. The thing is, he lets go of it early though. Like he can time it. Um, yeah. He he could time a pretty easy throw where he still beats the runner yeah. by half a step. Uh, what was the other the other th- the question the guy had was what was the craziest thing you've ever seen a, a player ask a clubby to do. That you can share. Man, I can't think of anything <laughs> off the top. It's they get asked to do all yeah. kinds of random crap, and they do it. Run you know, they're working for tips. Cars. Yeah, um, I mean, get your lunch, pick up your kid at school. I, I okay. I remember a guy getting traded, and uh, the clubby getting asked to go to his apartment and uh, clean all his weed out. <laughs> 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 had, That's a good one. He had he had weed in the back of the refrigerator under the bed. I mean, this it, he was like, man, how? I he thought he was just going to go clean out like one or two things. I think the guy was worried the team was going to find it if they cleaned right, it out or right, something right. like that. But it, this guy had wound up having like three or four ounces in different <laughs> spots of his apartment. The guy's had a great career, you know. So it's funny stuff like that happens, and and clubbies do all that dirty work. It's it's a it's a different type of job. Uh, Danny Schneider, D Schneider at 13 says, what was Eric's first welcome to the majors moment on the field or off the field? But when you realized that everything was on another level in the big leagues, uh, I faced a rod and a rod hit a ball. Um, it's kind of cool though, you know, because you, you're trying to get to the big leagues and you're seeing all these guys and you're trying to figure out if you can compete or not. And you've heard about them. And then a guy like A-Rod steps in the box who probably already had 500 homers at the time um, or maybe 400 mm-hmm. something. I don't know where he's at, but you knew he was A-Rod. And uh, this was with the Yankees. And I throw him a fastball down and away and he just annihilates this thing. You know, not a lot of guys can pull a good lefty fastball down the way. He annihilates this thing into the upper deck at Safeco where the ball does not fly. <sighs> But that moment when you, you know, if you can take yourself out of it and look back at it, it's like, holy uh-huh. shit, this is crazy. This is where I'm at right now. I'm looking at A-Rod 
and he's walking because he had just hit a ball 700 feet off me. You know, that's when you're like, I'm legit in the big leagues right now. Um, and it's, it's, it's the moment you've seen on TV so many times. You know, you've seen the replays, you've seen all that. But then when you're 60 feet away and it's happening, that's when it really sets in that, wow, I'm in the damn big leagues and this is a real thing right now. And he hit that ball so far. And you didn't even know at the time that he was like majorly chemically enhanced either, right? So you're just thinking this guy's this good naturally. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's something <laughs> so it's even yeah, worse then. <laughs> it's way worse. Yeah, if I'd known he's cheating, it yeah. still would have been like, damn, he's really good at cheating, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I I had this home run I gave up to Adam Dunn too in 2010. Oh, the donkey. Um, I I was tipping my slider and I hung him a good one right in his right in his bat path, Big and donkey. he hit this ball a mile. But I always tell people like. You know, it's something, it's the coolest view in the house, minus the fact that your ego's taking a hit. Yeah. And it, there's something so <laughs> pure, though, about being 60 feet away uh-huh. when a ball is just annihilated by a major league, um, just especially a guy as big as Adam Dunn. But uh-huh. the way the ball came off his bat, it was so pure. It was like it didn't even touch his bat. And all of a sudden, it just, there's no doubt. And it just, it just takes off. And you, you don't even have to look. So that ball is the cleanest, most just purest destroyed baseball I've ever seen in my life. And you happen to be standing 60 feet away from it. It's actually really cool, those memories to look back at and some of the bombs I gave up, you know, when I can take myself out of the Uh, moment and just realize this is the best possible view you could have as a just pure baseball fan to be that close to it. It's it's pretty wild to look back at it. I really appreciate uh, some of those homers I gave up now, especially that one by Dunn and A-Rod. He was like six, 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 seven. And and he was, uh, he was doing launch Heavy. angles before launch angles were cool. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was into launch angle from the get-go. <laughs> that was his swing, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he hit a ball off Jurgens uh, one time in uh, in Atlanta up landed. onto the concourse in right center. I, I don't, the, sometimes these these distances, you'll have a yeah, ball that, that goes down the right field line 20 rows up, and they say it's 500 feet. Yeah. And then Adam Dunn hits a ball that never lands, and they're like, yeah, it's like 391. Yeah, There's like, no this ball was. Five seventy, I think. <laughs> uh, this one's from Sam J. Dawkins. Do you remember the first time you were in the box against someone who threw ninety-five plus, and what was that like? Well, that's not for me, obviously. So go ahead. Uh, well, I've I never faced ninety-five in my life, but I faced ninety-two, ninety-three a couple of times. I got, I think I got three at bats in uh, major league games. One of them was against Will Omen who, mm-hmm. you know, lefty-lefty was a tough matchup for me. His extra innings brave game at, at Wrigley Field. Yeah, he was a brave. And the ball looked like a ping-pong ball seven feet away, and it was a strike. And <laughs> and the next ball looked like a ping-pong ball, you know, seven feet away from me, and it was a strike. And then the next ball looked like a slider right down the middle, and I knew he was going to throw it, sitting on it, and I still missed it by a foot and a half. Right <laughs> when I went to swing, it just fell off the table and, and went down to the dirt. Um but it was cool because that was my first at bat in pro ball. Uh-huh. Um, wow. And I came Never back out. No, relief pitcher? No. Yeah, yeah. And I came back out the next inning. I'd never had more confidence in my life. I was like, I think I'm as good as that guy. And I'm throwing <laughs> that shit up there. All right, let's roll, you know. Um, and then I had an at bat. I had a bat against a Latin reliever, I think, that didn't know I was a pitcher because he pimped the shit out of it. Uh, he threw me three straight sliders and punched me out. Uh, and I had one more at bat against um, the lefty Alex Torres. 
in spring training against the Braves, uh-huh. and it was bases loaded, and I was going to try to hit a grand slam off him because the Braves had already called my agent and said they might be trying to get me at the end of that spring. <laughs> uh, but I worked like a 3-2 count or something. I had an auto take. Um, I saw the ball good, but, man, it's just so hard to put the barrel on even 92. Uh-huh. 92 looks like 105 when you haven't been in the box. And <laughs> the best thing about it is every time you get in the box, and I think that's a huge advantage for starting pitchers, but every time you get in the box, you remember how hard it is to hit it. Because uh-huh. um, when you're chucking that stuff at major league hitters that see it all the time, it can be pretty humbling right. how, how well they take it and everything. But then you right. get in the box and you're like, <laughs> man, if I make pitches, there's no way they're hitting anything. Uh-huh. It's, a good, it's a good reality check. Hey, folks. Producer Cam here to tell you about Hawthorne. Get acquainted with your better-smelling self with help from Hawthorne. Hawthorne uses study-backed research to pair you with grooming products based off your skin, hair, and scent-based needs. By answering Hawthorne's quick quiz, no need to cheat, it's really easy, guys, you'll be matched with cologne, shampoos, deodorants, and other wonderful smell-centric wares. It's like a dating app for your nose, except you're never going to get left on red. And Hawthorne offers free shipping and free returns. Okay, so it's not exactly like a dating app, but their quiz does do a fantastic job of honing in on your specific smelling needs. Look, I tend to sweat when I work out and watch cops, and because of the staining power my perspiration possesses, the splotches on my shirts leave me embarrassed. Hawthorne saved the day, though, by curating a selection of personalized body products, including a stain-free deodorant. Take that, sweat! Plus, Hawthorne pinpoints a pair, not just one, of colognes that are tailored to you based off your workspace, personality, and how you choose to use your free time. That's why my work cologne is fresh and aquatic, so I don't offend my dogs' noses. And my play scent is aromatic and witty. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E, and dot co, not dot com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Real briefly before we get out of here, just an update on where they stand. Things stand, at least as we as we know them to stand, uh, between the union and the owners. This is the week for all intents and purposes. The week that when a deal probably needs to get done. July, uh, June 1st is kind of the uh, loose, unofficial deadline if baseball hopes to play, uh, get started around July 4th and play 80, 82 games. They probably need to get this deal done by about June 1st. That way they can get the, give the players about a week to gather and have a three week camp and then start. So, um, they, the owners and the players association went into the long holiday weekend, having already made progress on the health stuff, the safety and the t- testing protocols, all that, uh, that will go into, you know, returning, restarting the game. But there are still significant disagreement on the salary part, as you can imagine, uh, which some would say is probably the biggest part in the view of most people anyway, whether they say so or not. Uh, but even the money aspect, there's at least reason to believe now that the sides might be ready to compromise a little, at least the owners, to come off you know, their initial the stance, uh, which was the owners asking the players to get paid based on a split of revenues rather than the prorated arrangement, which the players had agreed to with the owners in March. The owners said they needed to tear that up in effect or make the players take more of a cut because they didn't know at the time that all the games were going to – or most, of the, most, if not all, the games were going to be played without fans. Players say we're not taking, you know, further pay cut. We're not going to split revenues because that amounts to a salary cap and blah blah blah. We've gone over all this stuff. So, but um, 
the the latest Ken Rosenthal and Evan Dreilich and the Athletic wrote that uh, MLB the, the the league has kind of backed away from proposing a full revenue sharing system because you know before they could actually formally do it the the, the union made it clear that's a non starter they're not going to agree to that so uh, the scheduled meeting between uh, with the players union today the owners are going to send them a proposal and they're expected to offer an alternative to the to the straight revenue sharing and we're going to see uh but there is some there is some belief that uh there might be some type of deal where they they have a percentage that give the players a percentage not a straight you know split but a percentage of the revenues and that they might be receptive the players might ask for deferred salaries which makes some sense if the owners will do it you know, to, to, to that way, the players would get what they want. I mean, they they wouldn't have to take further pay cuts, but they would defer some of that money. Do you think they would buy into that either side? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, both sides are going to have to compromise. Mm-hmm. But you know, the only thing you worry about with deferred um, salaries, and that's like you know, you go back to the trust. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. how's that going to affect free agency this year? Can teams use that and say, "Well, we got all this deferred salary hanging yeah. over us; we really can't spend." Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the whole game they're always playing. But, you know, if I think that I, it's tough because, like I said, as a as a player, you know, l- looking at all this stuff that's going on right now, I'd feel like an asshole holding out for more money. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I'm sure a lot of guys do. But there's also this other game being played where you don't trust the other side. You don't know what their motive is or if they're being really clear with with the spending and the finances. And you don't you don't want to just give away money that because you're a good guy or because there's that pressure to, to do this. So that's why you hire people. You know, that's why you have a union and, and you have these guys that are supposed to be just as cutthroat as the owners kind of uh, yeah. figuring it all out. But yeah, that'd be my only um, worry would just be, you know, are they going to use that to not spend money this off season? Yeah. Deferring 2020 salary might be more appealing to the union, the league, they might not be open to deferring major league salaries because, you know, the belief would be uh, that it would only extend the financial pressure on the clubs yeah. into the future rather than addressing the problem. Another kick in the can down the road, getting more leverage to whatever. Um, but it could be a real thing too, you know, yeah. and that, that's why the, that's why I always say the trust because it could be a situation where it's like, yeah, well, we really do have all this money hanging over us. Mm-hmm. And we got to pay all these salaries and we didn't make any money last year. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why the transparency is so important for everybody. But yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it, it's something – you know, you, you at some point you're going to have to believe them that that the finances are what they are. Kenneth Evans also wrote that the proposed length of the season could be another potential bargaining chip because the players would make more money on a prorated thing for every regular season game. Yeah, played, um, and therefore they might ask the league to play more than 82. But the league says that unless the players take a pay cut, they're losing money on every game with no fans in so the they stands. Want less. Right, so they want less and play more postseason games because that's where they're going to rake in the dough with those broadcast revenues in the postseason. So they'd prefer to play more postseason games. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, with, if you have expanded rosters, I don't think the players are afraid of, you know, even if it's 30 guys, that helps so much for doubleheaders and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, it's just, it's, I don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to work it out, but. There's, I think they'll definitely be compromised on both sides. Um, it's 
I don't know how long you're willing to go either, or if this if this window of you know getting it done by June, if it doesn't work out, what they're going to do. But man, it's it's a tough yeah. one. This is usually the stuff that like takes an entire off season to negotiate. Yeah. They're trying to do it in like a week. Well, I could, yeah, I'm thinking here, and everything I think of that's a that's a plus. There's also this other negative yeah. on the other side of it, you know. And then you look at it, and and I never thought you know owners would want to play less games. Mm-hmm. But if, if their finances already worked out, and and the players are like, well, we're taking our our prorated salary we already agreed to, and mm-hmm. and it's in the owner's best interest to play less, then how do you settle that? They you might, know, how do you say that we want less games? They might want to negotiate stretch the negotiations into mid June. Yeah, why not? Yeah. You know, then then because this whole time I've been thinking, you know, it's the players. The players plan for this. The union plans for it. They can pay guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's no season, most of the players are going to be fine. But if there's no season, I don't know how a team's really holding up. You know, financially, if there's no season at all, how bad it hurts the teams. I think it hurts them more. But then all of a sudden, it's you know the teams are arguing to play less games because it it actually hurts them to play games at this point. Um, man, it's. Yeah, they could take negotiations into mid June, and the players still want to play eighty. They'll go, the owners will be like, "Oh, you want to play till Christmas? Okay, we'll do that." <laughs> yeah. Um, so this whole time, I'm thinking it's the players benefiting from it dragging out, and now you're like, "Well, maybe the, it, have, it benefits owners to yeah. drag this thing out." You're only gonna have a few weeks off before <laughs> you report to training again. But uh, Ken and Evan yeah. wrote this. This was pretty good. They wrote ultimately nothing forces players to take a further pay cut and nothing forces the owners to start the season, a potential stalemate that seems to provide the impetus to a new negotiation. Um, the revolu- the re- resolution, however, remains unclear. Some player agents fear that preserving prorated salaries only would lead to a bigger problem in the offseason when the owners might cut spending dramatically following their losses. It's a good point. Yeah. Man, there's a whole lot of so many different elements to this. For every, like you said, for every positive, there's a negative on each side. On each side, and you know, you're not even talking about the health risk yet. Yeah, for the players, you know, it's. I, I know Snell said what he said, and it it didn't. He didn't nail it the way he said it, but some of his concerns were legit. You know, if oh yeah, and not only that, the coaches at risk. There's. It, you, controlling this thing man we don't have it figured out as a country yet we're going to try to play baseball you know uh, the coaches are really i mean uh, like uh dusty is i think 70 you know yeah. and he's had some health stuff and i know some other managers have had some heart stuff there's guys i mean there's a lot of guys with uh, high blood pressure a lot of guys are overweight a lot of guys have smoked i mean they're going to have to be it's, really careful. They're going to have to really stay on top of it, not not get relaxed at all, you know, following these protocols, the older guys especially. And it's a stressful uh, atmosphere to spend yeah, that much time in. You know, you're, it's, you're not talking about a normal 55, 60-year-old that's, that's been getting to sleep every night. You're traveling a lot. I mean, it's it's mm. it's in the, the nature of everybody to drink a lot in the game. Uh, and and old time guys that, that guys that were playing in the eighties or, or nineties and are now coaching, uh, there were stimulants in the game that, that yeah. beat your heart up. There yeah. was uh, that they didn't know a lot of the stuff we know now about taking care of yourself. They were eating hot dogs and cheeseburgers. You know the diet wasn't good. These are some beat up bodies. You know maybe some of the the <laughs> the, the worst health of of, of fifty and six year olds is, is major league baseball coaches that have, that have yeah. been through the grind. Beat the crap out of their joints when they're playing. Always went hard. Some of them did uh, roids. Some of them did nose candy. Who knows? Man? Yeah, There's a lot of things inf- that your bodies are not 
No, that, fitness that coaches. cost you down the road. <laughs> yeah. You, you sacrifice your health down the road a lot, you know, in baseball because you're, you're doing something so cool. So yeah, I'm more worried about, you know, a, a former major league player that's coaching now and, and been doing yeah. this grind, losing sleep for however many years than, yeah. than a lot of other people. Um, by the way, speaking of that distrust, the union wanted proof of the owner's financial distress and they, <laughs> the league took more than a week to answer the request for the financial documents. And then when they finally got the reply Friday night from the owners, the, the source, sources told Ken Rosenthal that the league did not respond in full. And it was unclear whether the union thinks the information the league sent is even sufficient for its economists to make a determination about the league's claims before June 1. <laughs> they gave him a couple business receipts from some dinners at Applebee's and told him yeah. to screw off. <laughs> Here, we took all the owners out to Smith and Walensky's. Here you go. We kept the receipts. <laughs> and we and we chartered yeah. a jet down to go to Cancun for uh, a winter uh, owner's <laughs> retreat. We didn't tell you about that, but here's the receipts for that. <laughs> Make me do out of that. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of, that just goes back to what I'm talking about with the trusted stuff. It's It seems like you know, there's never been a better time for the owners to truly open up their books. And if it was all honest, you know, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. I guess it's it's kind of just a policy in a way they've always done it as the books have never been open. Right. But they could gain a lot of public trust and trust from the union right now if they did that. Absolutely. Which tells me but it that might not help their case. <laughs> which tells me that they have a reason why they're not showing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You never I know. Mean, how, what else Probably. could you read into it? Yeah. If, yeah. If you don't have anything to hide, I mean, Meanwhile, Why are you hiding Ken, something? <laughs> yeah, Kenny and Evan wrote that some of the some player agents are open to pay, to pay cuts this year for their clients if the trade off is financial protection for players during the upcoming off season, which some in the industry fear is going to be really brutal for free agents and arbitration yeah. eligible players. You would not want to be so one too. of those guys, unless you're like Arb a superstar guys, free agent. Why are they worried about ARB guys though? Because that system doesn't really change. Well. But how are they going to take these numbers forward? You know, if you play half yeah. a season and all that, I mean, I, yeah, I don't you'll know. get a lot lower raise because it's, it's normally it's normally yeah. based off of your bulk and the amount of work you did. So mm-hmm. it'd be pretty easy to argue that you only deserve yeah. half the raise because you only did half the work. It's pretty but even antiquated, then, you know? and it's going to catch up with them this time. You know, I can't believe the system yeah. still does the counting stats and all that, but it does, and it's going to pay, work against the players at this time. It seems like. Yeah, but if you only pitch half a season, you know, you got to understand that you're not getting as big a race because you didn't do as much. And that, that's some of the stuff where I think that, that the guys kind of got to mm-hmm. come to terms with, you know, in, in that aspect. But free agents are going to get just destroyed, especially older ones. There's there's going to be no one-year deal for $10 million for this guy or, or you know, getting your last deal at 32, that four or five. Like if you were Josh Donaldson yeah, coming into this, yeah. this offseason. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, he'd he'd be in a lot worse shape than than trying to get the three years, however much he got. Um, a lot of guys are going to just get destroyed, and even even guys that they're going to have to go to other countries. You know, there's just not going to be a spring training spot for them. There's not going to be a job for them. Yeah. Which, without a minor league season, the Dominican and, and Venezuelan league should be going off the hook this year. Well, it's going to be interesting, and uh, like I said, this is the week. I mean. I don't think we're going to still be saying this uh, a week from now and go, okay, this is the week, but we might be, <laughs> but all, all signs point to, you know, the owners and the players realize they need to get something done now if they hope to start, you know, July 4th and play a half season. So we'll see. We could have something to talk about Friday in, in that regard. 
That's it for today, though. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for the questions and all that. And uh, hang in there. I think we're going to be playing baseball before too much longer. At least we hope so. Hope so. 755 is real, and we are out. We're out.